I am Madison Timmons. I'm Chris Susan. And we're paranormal specialists who live in the most haunted city on earth, Savannah, Georgia. Every day is Halloween in our line of work, so join us as we spin true tales of haunts, murders, and disturbing Savannah history. I'm Madison. I'm Chris. And, and welcome, welcome to, to the most haunted city on earth. Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Most Haunted City on Earth. My name is Madison Timmons. I'm Chris Susie. And we have Radar, or Michelle, uh, back with us today. Uh, Y'all loved her so much, we had to bring her back for more. (laughs) Um, But today we're actually going to do something a little bit different. We're going to be doing a live react to two stories. Uh, First one, because it is Thanksgiving. Uh, Happy Thanksgiving to y'all who are listening to this. Um, We wanted to do a story that we found on um, online about a Thanksgiving that turned into solving a 180-year-old murder. Uh, so we have not read this. Uh, that's just the title of the article. So we will be giving you our live uh, reactions to this. And then after that, we are going to be reading a story that was sent in uh, by one of our para-junkies, and we're going to react to that as well. So let's go ahead and dive right on in. So, this came from the New York Post. Uh, It was written by Chris Bradford from The Sun. Um, And the uh, the article is entitled, How My Grandpa's Thanksgiving Ghost Story He Tells Each Year Led Us to Uncovering a 189-Year-Old Murder Mystery. Hmm. That is quite, (laughs) that is quite an intro. So it's quite a Thanksgiving puts a whole new spin on like the family drama at Thanksgiving. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, so my thought is like, that's a cool grandpa who's like, yeah, all right. Ghost stories every Thanksgiving. <laughs> yes. Gather around the turkey y'all and uh, let's talk about the ghosts. <laughs> but, but uh, grandpa's haunting Thanksgiving story appeared to help two brothers uncover a near 200 year old murder mystery. Bill and Frank Watson were told a chilling tale about 57 Irish immigrants who died at a railroad site in Pennsylvania during the cholera epidemic in 1832. The area is known as Duff's Cut, as the rail worker's boss was named Philip Duffy. It is a stretch of tracks located around 30 miles from Philadelphia. The brothers were told the chilling tale by their grandpa, a railroad worker, every Thanksgiving. They believe the rail workers died violently and not from cholera. Frank told CNN in 2010, this is a murder mystery from 178 years ago. They really are jumping around a lot with this. They're like, it's 200 years. It's 189 years. Um, But yes, from 178 years ago, and it's finally coming to the light of day. According to local legend, a man walking home from a tavern claimed to see mysterious green figures dancing in the mist in September. Oops, sorry, my phone jumped. Do do do. In September 1909, that sounds like a game of D and D. Like uh, you know, they're like, and now the mist turned into green figures. What are you gonna do? <laughs> Roll for intelligence. <laughs> but, well, he was obviously coming home from a tavern, so yeah, exactly. spirits were involved. Absolutely. <laughs> it's just not the same type of spirits, for sure. Um, but the documents quote the unnamed man as saying, I saw with my own eyes the ghosts of the Irishmen who died with cholera a month ago, a dancing around a, the big trench where they were buried. It's true, mister. I, it was awful. 
Frank inherited the railroad papers from his grandpa and said one of the documents said X marks the spot. That's a uh, very cliche. <laughs> but the suspect or the suspected, uh, they suspected that the files contained clues to the location of a mass grave. Bill and Frank delved deeper into the case. They started digging in 2002 and years later found forks and tobacco pipe shards. The brothers didn't uh, believe struggling laborers would discard valuable items. Researching in March 2009, they found a bone, raising suspicions that cholera may not have uh, killed the rail workers. Teams also uncovered a skull that had been pierced by a bullet and cleaved by a hatchet, Reuters reported. Bill, a historian, said... We have no idea what percentage of these guys were murdered, but if we have 57, it's the worst mass murder in Pennsylvania history. He said the average age of workers was around 22 years old. Forensic anthropologist Janet Monge said the case provided vital clues about the lives of Irish immigrants. She said it was a cruel and rugged existence that categorizes the immigrant experience and speaks very broadly of xenophobia that existed at the time. Monge discovered bones from at least seven skeletons, including four skulls. She said one skull was a, has a little divot on what would have been the side bone of the skull. That little divot is something that didn't happen when they excavated it out of the ground. The anthropologist speculated that one of the laborers may have been clunked on their head before they died. Researchers believe more bodies are underneath the surface. Bill Watson says the coffins have been shut with more than 100 nails per coffin, according to Hidden City. The remains of five men and one woman from those who died at Duffy's Cut were laid to rest at a cemetery or in a ceremony in Pennsylvania in 2012. The body of teenager John Ruddy, who was the county Donegal, was reparated to Ireland or repatriated, excuse me, repatriated to Ireland. And a burial took place in County Tyrone. Yeah. uh, For Catherine Burns in October 2015. Forensics believe that injuries to her skull indicated that she had been murdered in the BBC report. Duffy's Cut later became part of the Pennsylvania Railroad's main line. And that is what we've got. First off, I want to know where this is at so we could go investigate. (laughs) Right? I'm sure, I'm sure we could probably, if we did a little bit. Philadelphia. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, but the exact location, I'm sure somewhere on Reddit, somebody's got some information on that. Especially if they've been digging. Exactly. There's got to, there's got to be a direct place. My second question is, and I know I'm going to sound stupid not knowing what cholera is exactly, but is it something deadly like, oh, yes. oh you yeah. know you're going to die or there's a chance you're going to live? No, it, especially in the hard. 1800s, yeah. I would say that cholera well, was a, a, a death sentence for, for the most part. It happened part. in 1909, right? Mm-hmm. No, no, the witness was 1909. Oh, yes. It, that's and who saw the ghost, was, yeah. And oh, it was very misleading. Saw the ghost. Yes. Yeah, okay. It was very misleading because I thought that too because he said, uh, I saw those people who died a month ago, making me think that the people died a month ago. Mm-hmm. But no, it was a month since he saw it. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I, I had to put it together because uh, we were told that it was in eighteen something, yeah, hundreds, yeah. You know, at one hundred seventy three years, that puts it in the mid eighteen hundreds. But yes, the 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 ghost story that they were citing was from nineteen oh nine. 
So this is all the ghosts in 1909. Yeah. So yeah. I wonder what year. It didn't say what year it actually. Uh, it probably did. I'm just, let's see. Um, so was 178 years from 1909? No. No, 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 no. It was, it was 100. And 2012, so I let's think. Go back, yeah. <laughs> let, let's go back 178 years. What would that have been? Yeah. So it was 170 something years from the do, 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 uh, in 2010 that it was 178 years prior. So they're like, do the math. Thirty-two. Okay, so there you go. Um, okay, that, that's helpful. Thank you. Sorry. Yeah, no, it's okay. Uh, I'm, so, I'm a very visual person, so sure. it's, I needed to see that. Sorry. Yeah, no, it's okay. The um, so cholera basically it was like a, a disease you got through the water a lot of times, um, and so it was if you got it you usually didn't recover from it um it killed a lot it was it killed a lot of people on the Oregon Trail it killed a lot of people in various like kind of areas like that so it would have been very odd that 57 people died of that disease in one place is it contagious i think you have to i don't think it's airborne at all so no but yeah. not knowing cause at the time probably did suggest that they could have created like, you know, uh, a uh, quarantine area. Mm. So it's possible that they quarantined these people because for fear of contagion or for for fear of spread. Um, That that might explain, you know, the number, the sheer number and placement of them (laughs) being all together. That's the first feelings that came into my head was that somebody was scared and went in there and killed them all. That's very possible too, in a because even if you quarantine area. them oh, and yeah. then somebody went in and 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 just took them out, that's very possible. But it's also possible, being Irish immigrants, and especially in that period, Irish immigrants were not treated well often, and often were given areas to live in that weren't necessarily ideal. Uh, it could be a marauding group of people just against the Irish immigrants <laughs> running in to or, to murder, true. you know, a, an encampment, or they didn't want to pay them. That is true as well. Yeah, you never really know, especially because they don't even know, like, what the true cause of it was. But I do find it odd that they found people with, like, bludgeoned heads and, like, bullet holes. See, and that's why I was saying that was my first thought as you were reading it, is that somebody was scared and went in and... Just whacked them all? That's the feeling that I got, yeah. The energy that I got. Yeah. I mean... I feel like you'd have to like go there in person and kind of feel out the vibe because usually there's a different energy and what I've been able to tell is that there's a different energy from sick people dying in a place versus people who were murdered. Oh, absolutely. Um, So it's definitely an interesting story. Um, And it does sound mob mentality when you come to the idea of a large number of people, you need a larger number of people to kill them. You exactly. Know, you yeah, a, but they were all killed in different ways. Some were shot in the head, some were bludgeoned to death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, again, so it's leading to the idea of a group of people just coming in, in and yeah. And and you know, swinging, you know, weapons and bludgeoning and well, shooting. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it could have been that what they were kind of saying is like it's a sign of xenophobia in the the time period. It could have been a group that were mm-hmm. like, "Oh, we don't want these Irish people in here." So, yeah, whack 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 whack. It, bang bang like things like that so i mean 
it is pretty up in the air, but I definitely, it definitely feels like it was a purposeful mass grave, you know, like they're like, we're just going to throw them all into this sure, ditch. Absolutely. But what I thought was weird was the ghost story or the ghost encounter portion of it where he they was were like, dancing. They were dancing. Yeah. And I was like, they're dancing at their grave site. Like I, that's a new one. Um, Which could have been a more indication that it was the xenophobic attack mm-hmm. where they were living a life, having a life celebrating life Uh, yeah and then somebody comes rolling in and just massacres them yeah i mean that's what it feels like to me like uh you know if they're dancing at where they're buried because that's not if you're murdered you're not going to dance at your gravesite no matter how joyful of a person you were you know so well what better way to get attention than doing an irish (laughs) jam right (laughs) yeah and that's another thing was because of the the way the narrative unfolds I was always thinking that it was railway, you know, that, that it wasn't, but, but obviously this was just a a plot of land in which the railway would ultimately go through Duff's Mm -hmm. cut, whatever it was, which suggests that you could be dealing with a settlement, a group of people who are, you know, granted land and, and think of the celebratory life that you would have coming from uh, an impoverished area or coming from a hardship area and now you've got a new home, you've got a new place, you've got a new life and then there are these very aggressive xenophobic people who um, who may have come without warning you know, yeah. who may have just come in the in the dead of night and, and just done this and you know, again, this is a lot of trying to put the puzzle pieces together because a good ghost story is oftentimes a puzzle. It's oftentimes what is what what is that mystery what is the what is the missing element because a lot of times people have encounters like they see something and they experience something and you're like what 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 about the experience that they had would echo you know on uh and and yeah the idea of seeing green figures dancing like the haunted mansion (laughs) (laughs) you know and and having that concept of what what would be celebratory for that time Mm -hmm. what would be and why green that's right that's i thought that too i want to know if somebody else has experienced the same thing or has had other experiences near where the mass grave was since 1909 oh sure you know well it's obviously an enduring enough story for this grandfather to tell it right every every thanksgiving gather around children i'm going to tell you this tale Mm -hmm. that's maybe maybe the green represents the disease which could be very possible could also represent ireland that is also (laughs) very wearing their colors or or the greed if they were killed for money money it's just odd because usually you don't see spirits as green or colors in general. Um, you know, every, pretty much every spirit I've seen, they're pretty true to either being yeah. a shadowy figure or they're wearing the clothes that they identified with. And, um, you know, it's usually their favorite outfit or like it's the outfit they were buried in or it's, you know, something they wore every week, like their favorite shirt or whatever. That's tends to be... I'm not kidding. Or maybe he was a little too drunk and saw them, but they were green because he was a little drunk and about to throw up. (laughs) Honestly, that is very possible as well. Although you do hear about strangely colored mists and strangely colored orbs. And, you know, a lot of times when people have uh, paranormal experiences, they they can tend to, to slip into color. Um, and and I, I oftentimes wonder if it if it's not the color that they're seeing, but an impression that they're getting that they relate to a color, mm-hmm. you know, uh, because a lot of people 
are influenced by color and sensation. And so if they see something strange and they think sickly green and, and, or the, the pale mm-hmm. green light, it's like, is it, was it green or was that the feeling you had upon seeing it? Were you dealing like with an aura? You know, are you, are you seeing the aura of a situation or are right. you, you know, now being influenced by your own, you know, uh, synesthesia, you know, this, this own, your own misinterpretation of sensation and, and translating it to some visual component. Well, that was my first thought when you said cholera and they were sick. And then you said they saw the color green. I thought the cholera. Sure. That's why mm-hmm. they were well, saying and that. And there's a reason why they, they, they suggest that it was a cholera, mm-hmm. you know, uh, grave, you know, uh, because apparently that was known to the, to the community at large, that there was a mass grave, a cholera grave. Um, and intriguingly, that they would also note that the coffins had like a hundred nails in it. Yeah, they were that, like, stay in there. Right. You know, it's, you know, like- it's like, was that because they were diseased bodies or was it because there was evidence mm. of wrongdoing and they didn't want someone to pry open these boxes and see bullet holes and, and bludgeoning uh, marks and things like that? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it does. it definitely does ring some suspicion alarms because if you think about it in the type of people that they were, they probably weren't really caring that much about how nice your grave was or how many, or making sure that your coffin's going to stay shut or things like that. They're kind of just like, yeah, put them in the box and just throw them in the hole, you know? Especially with sick. When the Mm -hmm. sick were dead, you know, uh, it was not a highly scientific time. (laughs) You know, if a body was diseased and it died, the chances of person handling a diseased body without just shoving it in a hole and pouring lime on it. You know? It it's doesn't true. seem as likely that they would go through that much trouble over diseased dead. They would just try to get them, you know, out of circulation. As yeah. It were. I mean, that's the whole reason why we had the body men in Savannah. It's right. like, okay, you can go and handle that one. We're not going to deal with that. So, yeah. But if it was, more friends and family that were Irish that buried him, maybe the hundred oh, signifies something. Well, that is that because is I don't point. think the people that killed him would have been like, oh, let's bury them and seal them in these hundred nail coffins. That's a it very good point. Would have been their point. family. That's that a very good point. Them. Unless their family also died, yeah. because that's the other question. Because it was fifty-seven people, women and children yeah, included. Would it have been like a family gathering that you know, right. like um, at the then event? That could have been a a feud. Ooh. A familial feud. We're really just theorizing yeah, we, it's here. Spitballing <laughs> and uh, a, a good storytelling involves, you know, oohs and ahs. So. Yeah, we're really just guessing what could be happening because, unfortunately, it did leave a lot of plot holes. Um, and like, well, could, was it this? Did we ever find out if it was this, this, and this? You know, uh, definitively. So. Maybe one day we'll like revisit. Maybe next Thanksgiving we'll see if there's uh, any follow ups. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah. I feel like I'm uh, probably within the next 24 hours, I will do a little bit of a deep dive just because it's, it's fascinating enough, you know, especially that it's spurred on from a ghost story. Somebody, mm-hmm. somebody thought enough to tell this story over and over again about, you know, a drunken man encountering something on the way home. And then the people who heard the story was like, well, hold up. Hold up. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's the ghost heroine. Uh, phenomenon. You hear something, you're moved by it, you, you immediately want more. You immediately Absolutely. want to catch whatever it was that, that, that struck your interest in the first place. And the fact that they believed it, a drunk man to begin with, is very telling. But Well, I just looked it up and a hundred nails in a coffin doesn't mean anything, so there's that. Okay. <laughs> well, and, and there's, there's a lot of magic that involves coffin nails, mm-hmm. though. 
Um, but my belief is that they were hiding evidence or trying to seal away illness. But hiding evidence sounds really it sounds, pretty plausible. It at sounds this on point. par. Yeah. yeah. Which, which, again, because mass graves are oftentimes the mandate of a city, that gives you maybe these were official people who, oh. who caused this crime, who did the crime. Maybe this was a land grab. Maybe it was, you know, because when you do, when you sanction a mass grave, it is not a group of people who are like, let's do this. It's like, get this done, get these bodies out of here, you know. Uh, and and I, in my experience, most mass graves do not involve coffins. Yeah, they usually um, bind the bodies. Right. they bind make the a, bodies, wrap the bodies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Make them as small as possible so you can make more room. Right. But it is interesting that they gave them their own coffins, maybe to s- save face and be like, oh, like, we didn't kill those people. We, well, you know, it, it also seemed like they weren't all. Mm-hmm. They weren't all buried in coffins. It's, it, and again... Just on first blush, <laughs> it did seem like there were loose bones, loose, yeah. loose things that they found, and then and then the coffins themselves were were another story as they excavated. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna research more when I get home. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, it's an interesting story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's not to say though they didn't could they could have stacked the coffins and the ones on the bottom went like crushed. That's true. And, you know, uh, it's not like wood is 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 super, permanent. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you, super sturdy. You, you put it in wet and muddy ground it, it could easily or they rot. started and said this is taking too long <laughs> that's true it's like tank tank 100 are you sure we want to do this with everyone and it's like maybe the one the the, the bodies in the uh coffins with 100 nails are the most condemning mm. you know the ones that 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 seem to be the most you know <laughs> the most likely to come back and be like hey yes <laughs> or it was like oh the boss is gone right yeah, yeah. <laughs> You should have worn your Sherlock Holmes hat for this episode. Yeah, yeah, I was like, hmm, I wonder why. I wonder what's happening here. No, I love a good mystery, and I love how stories uh, start from simple threads of this happened, but why? You know, this mm-hmm. this occurred, but what was the what was the cause and the and that these people would uh, investigate to this level is is remarkable. Because apparently it's just two guys whose grandfather would sit around on Thanksgiving. Again, we're, this is a Thanksgiving show. Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> but on Thanksgiving, they'd sit around and hear ghost stories, uh, this ghost story, and, and be like, that ghost story is a ringer. I'm going I'm I'm to go out and find out what happened. I'm going to really uh, shake their jelly with this one. <laughs> yeah, but now it has me going, okay, we need to play a trip. Right? Yeah. <laughs> And if you're listening and you have kids, maybe sit them down around the turkey. Her, you're, if you're vegan, you know, you're tofurkey or whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, but maybe just sit them down and tell them this story and be like, did you know there's a mass grave? <laughs> Regale them with the <laughs> <Yes>. ghost stories. <laughs> Honestly, I would do that. I would totally do that. Uh, it used to be a very big part of celebration. You know, people think that uh, Halloween was the, you know, uh, the hallmark of, of spooky story time, but... Uh, Christmas was very well known to tell ghost stories. Any any holiday was a good excuse to sit around and tell ghost stories. Ghost stories were prevalent throughout history. It's true. We just talked about that um, in our Parajunkie uh, exclusive episode. We did like a little mini Christmas episode about um, the Grilla, which is a... <laughs> Icelandic <laughs> monster. Christmas monster. <laughs> yeah. With um, So if you want to hear more about a uh, horrific uh, dragon <laughs> creature that eats kids... Woman. Um, Highly accepted neighbor, though. 
That's, Very. that's another thing is it was a monster that just lived in the neighborhood and people were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the gorilla. Don't yeah, she about. eats kids sometimes. She's got some balloons with kids <laughs> in them. <laughs> balloons with kids in what them? What is this, it? <laughs> I know, right? It was so peculiar. Yeah. Penny, Pennywise is living over there. <laughs> exactly. And uh, so if you want to hear that story, you need to become a para-junkie uh, because it is, we had a grand old time talking about the drama, the saga that was the gorilla. It was a, a full-on soap opera yeah. full of betrayals and, and failed marriages and murder and mayhem. Yes. Uh, but the point being is that uh, a lot of it came down to the story was told to kids to keep them inside during the winter. To the point where, you know, the government had to step Intervene, in that's right. and be like, no. Stop <laughs> telling that story. We need the kids to go out. Yeah, because kids weren't going outside. The they government leave their houses. The I government. See that. Oh, yeah. The government put a rule out saying that you can't use this as an intimidation tactic anymore. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, clearly it's a very common thing, especially when you're stuck indoors. I'm sure those of you who are in our colder states uh, will know and agree to that when you're stuck inside during the winter, you got to entertain yourself somehow. So, right. you know, might as Ghost well. Ghost stories were the Netflix of the ages. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, just, you know, and it varies depending on your area. So uh, maybe uh, comment down below if you're watching on YouTube or uh, message us and tell us your ghost story that your family told you during the winter time or sure. things like that. I'd love to hear yeah, it. I'd love to hear the ghost stories that, that, that families tell. Like what, what, what scarring story did your parents tell you right. when you were a child? Mine was the, um, uh, the story about, it's, it's the classic hitchhiker ghost story oh, sure. of the girl who died on prom night in Greensboro. And um, when she got into the car, she would tell you to take her to this house. And then they get to the house. She's not in there. And so they go up to the door and they knock on the door and the lady answers. And she's like, oh, you picked her up, didn't you? <laughs> and so and that was what my gr uh, step-grandmother always told me. That was her go-to story. So my dad, uh, I don't know how diabolical he was. Um, but one of the stories that he would tell me was that, uh, that toys come to life at, at midnight. So uh -huh. you, you had to be asleep by midnight. Demented toy because, story. Because if the toys see you awake after midnight, they'll kill you. Okay. And, and it was also treat your toys, <laughs> treat your toys nicely. Don't break your toys also fit into that. And so my dad was like, you have to be asleep by midnight because if the toys see you up and about, they will, you know, they, they're not allowed to be seen moving, so they will, they will attack you. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know what time it is. I was a little kid, so I wasn't able to tell time. So I'm, it's just the dark, and I'm like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. One night, I'm guessing I was eight years old, uh, and my dad had been feeding me this for a long time. My dad turned on a uh, 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 fire engine, and it was just going in circles in my room. And uh, I freaked out because I was sure that you know the toys knew I was awake and this fire engine was going off also my dad told me that um the monsters under the bed wouldn't get me it was the monsters outside the window uh. that I should worry about and so I every night I just stare at the window and and over time I I I, I convinced myself that I could see things moving outside the window because, you know, you're a little kid. You're scared of the monster outside your window because your dad told you it exists. <laughs> <laughs> and sure enough, I'm like looking out the window and I'm thinking I'm seeing little, little lumps and stuff. And we were like on the fourth floor of a building. So seeing anything outside your window, very bizarre. 
Radar, did you have any stories <laughs> that your family would torment you with? <laughs> torment you? No. Torture really? you with? That's, no. That's so disappointing. <laughs> I, I fam- my family's kind of tame other than me. <laughs> I'm the non-tame one. That's fair. My my dad was not tame. Um, he, I was telling Chris this before we started the episode. I was like, I was like, because uh, we were talking about, it, we were like, there's really not that many like ghost stories associated with Thanksgiving. It's kind of you know like the holiday that's forgotten usually. Um, but I told him I was like, yeah, I mean, unless there's headless turkeys running around, and he was like, oh yeah, headless turkeys. I was like, wait, you don't understand that. So. <laughs> Basically, it's a running joke in my family uh, because my dad uh, was a stay-at-home dad, so he would take my sister and I to school every day. And when it was particularly foggy on mornings, depending on the time of year, there was a rotating list of headless creatures <laughs> that could get you. <laughs> so, um, you know, you've got the, uh, obviously, it's it really starts with the headless horseman in Halloween time. And then it gets progressively more odd because then you go to Thanksgiving where it's the headless turkey. Um, so my dad would be like, yeah, if you listen closely, you can hear it gobbling in the distance <laughs> looking for its head. <laughs> and so um, I'd be sitting in the chair or in the seat next to him in the car and he would just go, gobble, gobble. and I'm like, he's like, oh, do you hear that? And I'm like, what, what? And he'll be like, and then slowly it would get progressively louder and to the point where it's like the turkey attack where you know it's obviously tickling and like laughing and things like that but yeah it would become headless turkey uh headless reindeer we had the headless leprechaun that was always a classic um for things or for saint patrick's day um headless cupid all of the above. So, you know, that's uh, when I think of Thanksgiving monsters, I think of headless turkey. Um, and please feel, feel free to use that for your children. It was quite a bonding experience, you know, <laughs> to well, be like. And and the story of the headless uh, turkey uh, Thanksgiving um, brought up Juliet Gordon-Lowe. Yes. The, the founder of the Girl Scouts. Uh, one of my favorite stories of Juliet Gordon-Lowe was uh, she was an advocate for animals. <laughs> She uh, she was very upset with the violent nature in which we kill turkeys and uh, convinced her family that they should chloroform the turkey instead of chop its head off because it was it was a more peaceful way to Delightful. go. So she convinces the family that this is because she doesn't want the, the animal to suffer. So they chloroform the turkey and they pluck it for to get ready for cook and they put it in the refrigerator. The next morning, the cook opens the refrigerator and this naked turkey... <laughs> jumps out of the refrigerator and just runs around <laughs> the house uh you know and of course from that uh, thanksgiving forward they would they would decapitate the turkey in proper fashion but could you imagine how horrifying, <laughs> horrifying. that a bald turkey a bald turkey that is so i'm sure that turkey was so frightened like oh that's like the worst like drug trip to, gone bad <laughs> i'm sure it woke up thinking what the heck did they do to me <laughs> literally like no it's like oh my god where did I, what happened to me last night <laughs> i was probed by aliens <laughs> exactly oh no. and i'm cold and where I'm in are a, my feathers <laughs> i'm in a refrigerator <laughs> Or what would well, the, it would, yeah, it was exactly. Icebox, I was yeah. going to say they wouldn't have had a refrigerator, no. but you know, um, 
And imagine trying to catch that turkey too. That right. would have, and that's the, the 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 way the story goes is that it was a an event chasing the turkey around the kitchen. I would have loved to be there. I would love to be <laughs> a fly on that turkey's wall. What, was that the very first episode of Naked and Afraid? Right. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. So those are our. Um, takes on thanksgiving uh monsters and stories uh, <laughs> definitely not scary uh unless you know you imagine a a plucked turkey running around that's I mean, pretty frightening that would be frightening in experience but in storytelling it's 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 pretty funny it's I, th- I think that's hilarious because there's a whole bunch of funny stories about julie gordon low and oh, her family so that stories. just adds to her yeah. <laughs> she she was just a great uh, that whole family was just a family of characters yes yeah, and we can get into that in a whole different ep- we'll, we'll episode. Do, we'll do a Julia Gordon Low episode, I'm yes. sure. My my favorite story of her is Sherman and looking yes, the, for the you look horns. for the horns. Yeah, yes. old devil Sherman. I love it. That's so funny. We just talked about that in a, a episode, a, like few episodes ago, pretty recently. Um, but well, yes. somebody was asking for Julia Gordon Low. Oh uh, yes. ghost stories, and and that's one of my favorite Julia Gordon Low stories is the uh, Sherman showing up at her house. I love it. Well, now, ghost stories, her parents. Yes. Him Lily coming back for. Yeah. 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 We told That's that story, too. too. That's mine as well. I, it's just I, romantic. It is. I love uh, Willie and Nellie. They're so cute. But I, I don't consider it a ghost story, though. It's ghostly love. Right. It yeah, is. exactly. So. <laughs> it is. Well, speaking of um, ghostly stories, let's go ahead and move on to Angela Linneman's um story that she sent us she is a para junkie so she messaged us this story we have not read it uh so we are going to live react to it again um but yes so let's go on and read this um all right uh, i'll just read you this original thread so it says Thank you. Love the show. And after spending my childhood in a haunted house in Murphy, uh, Murfreesboro, which is outside of Nashville, uh, Tennessee, it's nice to hear a show that explores the deep hauntedness of the South. And so we asked her, you lived in a haunted house? <laughs> of course, we had to inquire about that. Uh, we'd love to hear some stories. And so she said, I did. Uh, It was a house my parents built in the mid 80s in a really beautiful new neighborhood that was constructed on the site of one of the bloodiest battles in the Civil War, the Battle of Stones River. At the official Stones River National Battlefield, people have reported seeing soldiers, but our house just across the river from the battlefield was some sort of hub. My parents' bedroom would fill up every night with what my mom called the Grand Central at rush hour of ghosts. I can just picture that in my head. Um, Yeah, Grand Central Station, if you've ever been there, it is very anxiety-inducing. So as ghosts, I can can picture that. But um, swirling, wispy, white, translucent um, figures filling the room, moving around quickly. I only saw them once. I was sleeping in my parents' bedroom because I was sick, and we had moved there after the young kids sleep with their parents' era, Um, so it was the only time I'd done it. I woke up in the middle of the night and saw them all around the room, and a rational kid that I was, I believed I was having a fever dream or hallucination. I didn't know that those are uncommon with a 99-degree fever. (laughs) My parents let me believe that that was the explanation. 
Oddly, while I saw the figures and my mother would see them every night, my dad and brother didn't see the apparitions in that bedroom. My brother did see a ghost in his own room one night and ran into my parents' room to wake them up, telling them that there's a man at the foot of his bed. He doesn't remember it, but my parents certainly do. I always slept with my door open and the hall light on and never, ever looked out the window at night. I think that the spirits knew how scared I was of seeing them, so it didn't appear to me other than the one time that I wandered into the Ghost's Grand Central. I theorized that our house was on the site of a field hospital or another hub of activity that would also have been the site of many deaths. I still never, ever felt that creeping, skin-crawling feeling in that house. Um, That feeling that accompanies so many haunted places. It's still the most beautiful place I've ever lived, and that time was the happiest of my life. Later on, when I lived in L.A. as an adult, now that, that was a haunted city. All of the stereotypes are true. The tragedy of failed dreams, the falling into drugs and despair. I felt that feeling countless times there. Like the terrible angst is is one part of a stairwell in a building in old Hollywood where I confirmed someone had been stabbed to death or the hallways of my last building, a faded art deco or palace hallways, which everyone ran walks ran slash walked through to be out of them quickly or the basement of the same place where I would do my laundry while blasting my headphones and not looking around too much where they had had a speakeasy during prohibition. And then there were the things I did experience with the usual senses, which ironically were not very scary at all, very uh, banal. Just a shadow figure passing through a doorway in my apartment, never felt or seen again, or the knocking on the bedroom door of my friend's apartment from his interior hallway when nobody else was there. He also saw a shadow figure lying on the bed next to him, ew. Um, An elderly lady sitting at his desk, That whole building made everyone who went there feel incredibly creepy and bad. L.A. is a weird place and needs its own ghost show. Definitely. L.A. is, I mean, it's, of course, it's going to have, you know, like a bunch of spirits because you're right. It is a place of a lot of despair, a lot of people dying um, uh, through drug use, um, suicides, murders, fires, all sorts of things. High volume. Yeah. More people, more ghosts. Exactly. It's true. Um, that you've gone through a lot. Um, yeah, yeah. That's, so that's incredible. That's that's very interesting too. Is the the construct of your house being across the river from the battlefield, uh, and, and a notion of it being a, a, a hospital makes a lot of sense. But more than that, a staging area. You know, prior to the battle, going into the battle, coming back from the battle. But honestly, there's so much that could be going on, you know, and uh, the the wispy nature that that's that so fascinating of the wispy nature is is one that I've actually heard in different occasions, and it was not necessarily the spirits of of an event as much as it was the condition of the environment. Mm-hmm. What you're really seeing is a coalescence of energy. Uh, you know, when, when they're not showing up in, in those physical forms of people, but uh, the will-o'-wisp kind of notion, it is suggesting that the land itself has high properties of paranormal uh, uh, 
ability, like a, a energy source. We we had talked about before, like uh, lime d- deposits or, or um, quartz deposits under the ground, uh, ley lines, magnetic fields, fault lines, things of that nature. Uh, oftentimes can be conducive, but uh, but to have that concentration of ghosts in that finite space on mm-hmm. top of that, just that one bedroom really does raise a lot of questions. Like, was it on the second floor? Was it, you yeah. know, was it a ground floor be- bedroom? Was it a second floor bedroom? Where was it in relation to the, you know, uh, uh, geography of the river? Because rivers too are great sources of paranormal activity because there is a motion of energy going through a river. Rivers are very oftentimes the banks of rivers are haunted and probably too because people tend to live right on the rivers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was that's whole lives and whole communities and, and whole existences. So I'm 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 endlessly fascinated by by your your nineteen eighties beautiful home. <laughs> yeah. Oh, makes, makes me wanna investigate that more too because it makes you wonder was there a house built there during the civil war or did they have that makeshift hospital field hospital sure yeah because even if it was just on the land it could still haunt the property that's there if it's sitting directly on top of where all those people died so and also worth noting that if you and your mother are extremely uh sensitive the spirits would be drawn to a house where they could be experienced so you know on top of being in a haunted area the idea that spirits are drawn to those who can witness them and can give credence to their existence it's it's possible that it's possible that your mom is very much a a drawing force because mm-hmm. if she was seeing them every single night they are presenting themselves to her every single night that gives you some idea of that the haunting may not be necessarily the volume of death and mayhem that happened in the location as much as it is the lightning rod that your your perception might be it so what i got from it immediately is because it seems like it's the same thing every single night that feels like a residual haunting to me uh nothing intelligent and i mean there might be some intelligent hauntings you know including the man who stood at your brother's bed or whatever you know oh, yeah the the shadow figure at the end of the bed is is a different type, type of entity, of entity. Yeah. i don't think that's even associated with what was going on in the bedroom but you know um it's really common for abilities to be passed down generationally uh, especially with through women femi- yeah through the females you know, yeah absolutely. Uh, it it's that way in my family for sure my mom will swear she doesn't have any kind of abilities but she like literally would tell me when I was a kid she's like every time I have a dream of death three people die I was like well that sounds like you have some type of ability <laughs> <It> sounds <laughs> like an ability for cognizance exactly yeah. That's and, what that would be. Yeah, which is funny because uh, Radar and my mom both share um, the same birthday, and they also both share that ability to see dr- dreams that kind of come true at times. So I thought that was interesting that they have that kind of connection. I, I do have that happen all the time, too, where I will know who's going to be dying next. Yeah. I get those feelings like she does. It's so that a, is weird. It must be a Virgo thing. Those September 9th Virgos, really. <laughs> they, <laughs> they, uh, they have that ability. But it's true. It's, um, you know, it's very common on the, um, on, with women to all have a certain sense or it, for some reason this ability to sometimes just peer into a moment. Um, you know, and that's what it sounds like your mom is experiencing is like almost seeing like 
I, I hate to reference the Haunted Mansion again, but I'm a nerd. Um, so, uh, but you know, when you're on the Haunted Mansion ride and you go over the dining or the uh, ballroom mm-hmm. where they have the, proje- the projections of all the people dancing, all the ghosts dancing, that's what I pictured when you uh, were talking about it. And that sounds kind of like, you know, when you're just seeing that moment happening, um, it's just, it's kind of like watching a movie or sorts. It's funny because I, I had a movie pop into my head, which was Poltergeist. Oh. Uh, the scene where the, all the, all the grave, you know, it, it, they showed up as balls of light. Oh, yeah. And so they saw them as balls of light, but when they went back to look, they saw that the balls of light were at the center of, like, figures, like actual human shapes, um, which does kind of, because the, 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 the very notion of saying Grand Central Station elicits this idea of, of movement, of crowded, of things coming and going, uh, which could, could indicate portal, could indicate mm-hmm. oh, that yeah. you are actually at, at a nexus point where spirits are traversing back and forth, spirit realm to our realm, and the ability to see that you know, the fact that it's happening right there <laughs> suggests that maybe it is literally like Grand Central Station. It's, yeah. it's you know, uploading and downloading <laughs> uh, from what, whatever plane that they are traveling from back and forth. It, it, there is a notion that you can find these places in, in nature, that there's these places where the veil is very thin and where the idea that a spirit could conceivably cross into our path making them more accessible to us than anywhere else. You know, because uh, a lot of people also believe that, that those nexus points, those portals, are energy sources. And the further away from the portal they get, the less energy they have to draw from, and, and they have to, then they have to resort to haunting. Then they have to resort to mm-hmm. actually trying to get attention and trying to get uh, energy. But there are some places that are just naturally, you know, a good recharge station for spirits. That's a really interesting point. Well, the first thing I thought of when you were reading this story, as soon as you said battleground, I'm thinking Gettysburg, all these battlegrounds I've been to, they're very, very high energy as far as like the feelings that I get when I go there. And maybe they're reliving the battle every single night. And that's why she's seeing them every single night because they're coming Mm -hmm. in, bringing in the wounded and, you know, maybe that's what she's seeing. Maybe they're just reliving it every single night. I mean, that, I feel like you're on the right track with that, especially because, you know, like when you think about a hospital in general, like an ER or like, it's chaotic. oh, it's super it's chaotic, you know? And so why, why, it would be the same thing, you know, even in the Civil War, um, every time you watch like a, a film with like a period piece, you know, um, depiction of a field like hospital. Yeah, right. It's that exact way. It's chaos. It's just people like running with rags and like trying to like saw people's legs off. I'm like, that's just a lot going on. Well, and just the battle themselves are very hectic and there's just everybody's running everywhere and there's bombs going off and you see horses running and, you know, it just is, it's all very chaotic. And then add that in, people are getting hurt and they're trying to amputate things and they don't have the medicine that we have and... And she said it was one of the bloodiest, one of the bloodiest battles uh, in the Civil Tennessee War. history. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, if of the entire Civil War. Oh, the entire Civil War. Yeah. Okay. Um, it, was, it was up there. Stony Creek? Yes, Stony yeah. Creek. I'll have to research that yeah. one. But, we, all, we all hear of Gettysburg. I have not heard of that one, so I'm going to have to research yeah. that one. But Well, Gettysburg was such a, a focal battle, too. You know, because a lot of battles did not sway or change 
the tide of the war. We tend to pay attention to the ones that were strategic and key. Um, and having visited Gettysburg, there's a strange amount of tranquility for being a battlefield. You know, on top of that, like the sensations. And uh, I had a friend who, who was working with um, infrared cameras and he was taking pictures and the picture that he, that he thinks had the most um, ghostly activity, what it looked like was people picnicking. <laughs> and it was like, that is so bizarre. Why, did, why do you think that, why is this happening at the site? You know, we're looking for soldiers and, and they're like <laughs> out, out in the woods, you can see like soldiers marching and you can, it's, it's, and he's like, you know, it looks like a woman in a dress sitting with, an, with a, either a child or another woman sitting right there. And as we tried to research it, it turned out that there were picnics around the battlefield. And I was like, I've never heard that. Is that, you know, and it's like, well, you got to understand that people were invested in these battles, but they didn't understand how battles worked. So you could oftentimes in that period, as it, the Revolutionary War and the Civil War, people would stand at the corners. You know, they stand on, on what they thought was the fringe of battle. And watch. And watch. And I was like, I had never heard that. How many casualties are there of people who were not battling, who were mm-hmm. not, you know? That, that's and never been, nobody ta- never seen nobody it talks on about anything. that. Exactly. Nobody yeah. ever says, oh, by the way, did you know that when people were in battle, and apparently it was a practice even into uh, World War One. But see, that would make sense because if you think about like um, back in the Victorian era, like when they would bury their family, Sundays they'd go to church and they'd go out there with their picnic tables and sit with their dad and talk to them right? and play cards and read and just sit out there all day. So that would make sense that they'd be like, oh, let's go watch the battle. Exactly. <laughs> well, you see soldiers marching towards an area and I'm I, and in my mind I'm like I guess if I were living that time I would absolutely be like oh they're going to fight <laughs> you know oh they're headed to you know the battle and and to show up and be like I wonder what it's going to be like but again uh, you never hear that but apparently like in the um during the Franco wars it was a it was a it's a huge problem where civilians just kind of showed up and sat out on the field because it was happening, you know, in their backyard. It's like, who's not going to be looking out? Because I'm like, battle, get in a bunker, hide. But these were in people's backyards. These were people's farmlands. I, I, these I were- feel like I was a picnicker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been a picnicker. I'd been like, what's going on? What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess the moral of this episode is Chris would have died in a war uh, from watching. <laughs> Easily. So not from fighting, but from not watching. From my, I'd be eating a peanut uh, butter and jelly sandwich. I'd have been right there with ball. you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We've just been sitting on a little, you know, gingham uh, blanket. And <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, well, Radar, thank you so much for coming back onto the show. I'm sure we'll have you again because we have so many things we can talk to you um, about and things like that. And if you guys have any specific questions that you would like to ask Radar at some point, um, you know, you are more than welcome to send those over. Also, feel free to use... We're about to do a parent Ah. 
Okay, well, we are going to do a short uh, Parent Junkie exclusive, actually, on astral projection, which Radar uh, does very often. So we're going to do like a little bit of a deep dive into that, and that will be only on Patreon, so you do have to become a Parent Junkie for that. So if you do want to do that, you can find us under the Savannah Underground on Patreon. Um, and if you don't already follow us on social media, what are you doing? I tell you guys this every episode, but it's, um, you can find us on TikTok under Haunted City Podcasts and then on Instagram under The Most Haunted City on Earth. Uh, you can get our merch on hauntedcitypodcast.com. But with that, y'all, my name is Madison Timmons. I'm Chris Susie. And stay spooky, y'all. <laughs>